guys, it's Nathan, doing the one thing I promised I'd never do, which is a semi-solo pod, but that's just going to be the first half of this episode. In the back half, Aaron and I have been working on comparing our top 100 lists. We're going position by position because it's just crazy to start off 1 through 100. So the back half of this will be us comparing our top point guards that we believe have a case to be on a top 100 list. But with everything going on in the NBA, I just kind of wanted to touch on things real quickly. First off, this podcast has not had a chance to address the Sarver findings. Basically, the NBA found out everything the Baxter Home article from ESPN last year was true. And initially, the push to have him suspended for a year and a $10 million fine is really light work. I 100% agree with all of the criticism. It was not enough. But I also do recognize that uh, per some of the reporting by Andrew Sharp of the GOAT podcast, that's probably all they could do. Their cans are kind of tied as one of the owners of the franchise. That's the maximum punishment the commissioner could levy. I am super excited for everyone in the Mercury and Suns organization that Sarver has agreed to sell. It does suck that he will continue to be a shitty person and make billions of dollars on this sale. I do really appreciate some of the reporting that points out that while he is the majority owner, he owns a smaller share than most majority owners, so it might not be as much money unless everyone is forced to sell in the deal. Hopefully Phoenix can get a really good owner who's going to invest in the franchise and make them a dominant powerhouse. We have seen Phoenix get some pretty high-profile free agents, or at least get interviews with high-profile free agents. They haven't necessarily landed them all, but they're at least in the conversation. I think if you get the right ownership team in there, someone who's going to spend, the next Steve Ballmer, whoever that might be, that could be really good. I think an under-discussed thing is that the Portland Trailblazers could also be for sale soon, which you don't usually see two NBA teams for sale at the same time. That could decrease the value of the Suns, or at least, you know, you got multiple teams on the market, Maybe the buyers aren't uh, aren't as likely to pay top dollar. Second big piece of NBA news recently is Ime Odoka getting suspended by the Boston Celtics for a year for having what has been described as a consensual but inappropriate relationship with a team staffer. It does seem a bit extreme to suspend a person for an entire year, but this is workplace harassment policies. I highly encourage anybody that has a job to check what your workplace relationship guidelines say about this thing. I met my wife at the company that we both worked at. We were at the same level, but I pretty quickly moved on to a higher position where I was responsible for making recommendations and calls of who got special projects that directly affected her work. It was required that we tell people and our bosses and everyone that was kind of involved in the situation that we were dating. We did, and there were absolutely no problems for us. However, there were other couples within the company where a boss would date a subordinate, and they did have some problems in the company. People had been reassigned, people were demoted, there was a lot of things that could go wrong, and they were all within our workplace guidelines. We don't know the exact relationship, who this woman was, what happened, whether it was fully consensual, whether it was not, where they're at in the org chart. There's been rumors that she was a VP. There's been rumors that there were multiple women. There was a report that it started consensual and then she feared retaliation when she tried to end things. There's a lot that goes into this, but simply put, there's a workplace rules for relationships which were not followed. Now, how this will affect Boston's season? That's going to be interesting because they are coming into the year as the title favorites at least according to the Vegas betting odds. I do think that was probably always a little bit of an overstatement, kind of a overreaction to how they performed last year. But I think even without Ime, they will still be able to compete for the conference finals, but I do think this caps their ceiling. 
Also, already having a Robert Williams injury on the books is not a good sign. And having Gallo out for the season, they're really lacking a lot of depth up front. So it is super disappointing to come off of that great finals run, having the Virginia star and Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown looking great as well. But sorry, Boston Celtics are getting sat back a year. We've also seen a few minor signings. The Lakers picking up Dennis Schroeder. While I like the Schroeder-Avery Bradley combo, I'm not sure that you can do a three-guard combo. I feel like it's going to be way too small, not enough defensive prowess. Um, So could this mean Westbrook has moved to the bench? Possibly. I certainly don't expect him to be in closing lineups, but a Westbrook with Schroeder, um, some other shooters out there, maybe a Thomas Bryant to have a little bit of size in shooting could be a decent unit kind of uh, when you want to rust LeBron. But more interestingly, Philadelphia's signing Montrez Harrell is just an amazing pickup. He is one of the best pick and roll bigs. And when you get need to sit Embiid, he can really help fill in some of the offense. His playoff limitations are going to be diminished in Philadelphia because you can play P.J. Tucker at the five. All Harrell needs to do is be able to be a 20 to 25 minute a night big man, play some pick and roll during the regular season, help keep that offense afloat when Joel is out. And this was kind of my worry with P.J. Tucker as the five man and the backup five on this team was I feel like you were going to need a lot of P.J. Tucker during the regular season. And this just gives them a just free reign to rest P.J. Tucker. P.J. is going to be able to play like 15 minutes a night during the regular season, save up everything, and then boom, come playoffs. You can ramp him up to 30 and it's just going to be really good. It's a super small move, but I do think that this elevates them in the contender conversation. You know, I think Boston falling, Philadelphia on the rise. Like, I still have Milwaukee as the number one, but I'm pretty close to who Philadelphia as as a 1B for getting out of the East this year. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the conferences, the tank race has already begun. Spurs have ruled out Keldon Johnson for the first little bit. Shea Gilders Alexander is out for the first bit, as well as Chet will potentially miss the entire season. Even Orlando just announced that Markel Fultz is going to miss some time. Utah, you know, took pennies on the dollar to get rid of Bojan, which is going to be a nice piece in Detroit. At least it's nice to see Detroit going for it. I doubt he will be there throughout the end of the year. He's definitely getting moved at the deadline, whether it's for a couple of seconds, if you can get a bad first for him. Um, But Utah moving him for this week of a package really says Utah's going all in for the tank. Watch out for a Mike Conley move. They're going to give up anybody that could possibly help them. But yeah, I really just wanted a quick rundown of what's been going on in the league and get some quick thoughts on the board. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. This is Aaron and I debating which point guards stand a chance of making the top 100. We're just ranking them as best we see fit for the moment. Uh, we will re-rank everyone when we get to the top 100, but it's a lot easier to rank position by position. So, hope you enjoy this chat. Yeah, I, I really wanted to start like the top 100 discussion with like a position by position because like debating, hey, is Tracy McGrady better or worse than Patrick Ewing or like Bernard King or uh, Dame, like when you have all of them and every option available, it gets so hard. But then if we're like, all right, yeah. here's the top of each list. And we just have like the one of five. Um, I think it's easier. It's not endless possibilities. We can kind of break it down. Um, we can see who's next on that positional tier. 
I have 22 point guards, kind of more than I anticipated. I feel like all of these guys could be a top 100 player if you make the right case. Yeah. I, I start off with the matrix and just like, all right, what does my matrix say? Where do I agree and disagree with it? Um, and I loved its rankings for the shooting guards. Uh, the point guards just has this like really messed up cluster. But who is your number one point guard? Well, actually, number one's boring. Number one's magic. Number two is Curry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You put Jerry West as a point guard. (sighs) He's listed as shooting guard half places, half places point guard, but he's number three. And then Oscar's number four. I have have Oscar number three. You have Oscar number three over West. I I totally do. That's great. Break it down. I feel like Oscar's offensive output is kind of understated. No one else has ever replicated what he was able to do. He's both the most efficient guard in the league. He's the highest scoring guard in the league. And he is leading the league in assists over and over and over and over again. Um, I think he's top two for like basically essentially his entire prime um, in assists per game per season. No one else has the production and the efficiency like he does. He's just a machine. We've never seen it replicated. Does the lack of playoff success and the fact that his team never was really all that good with him being this unstoppable offensive juggernaut affect you? It holds him back because talent-wise and production-wise, he's in the top 10. He probably is higher than that um, all time. But without that playoff success, it it pretty much halts him from being passed. Um, I think I have Durant number 13 oscar number 14 all time and uh that's kind of a pretty substantial gap there because of that lack of playoff success and really if you look at the teams or his teammates um it's not great he has jerry lucas for a bit but really he's kind of playing with the end of 50s guys Mm -hmm. um for, for the beginning of his career kind of like the the old the old rochester royals um and the red like like west gets elgin baylor um Wilt gets his guys and whatnot, and Oscar kind of gets stuck with mediocre help. See, the thing for me with West is like the Lakers era, I feel like this is one of the most misunderstood things about the 60s basketball, is people think of the Lakers as being West, Baylor, and Wilt. And it's more like Baylor, a little bit of West and Baylor. Baylor gets hurt and becomes a, a truly diminished player. Then at the end of their careers, all three, like the three have like one good season together. Um, but for it's very time, brief. Yeah. It, it's not like Bill beat the three of them combined. It's the three of them were fairly separated out. And I was just, I, I pulled up the 65 playoffs um, where Baylor played five minutes uh, and West took the Lakers to the finals, averaging 40 points per game during the playoffs. Like that's, that's to me why I have Jerry West over Oscars because he took his team to the finals without the help. Oscar was kind of struggling to make the playoffs and finally gets a ring at the end. Um, but they do come in 12th and 14th in the matrix. And actually Oscar is ahead of West. So I'm kind of bucking the norm here. <laughs> You're going against the the science that brought you here. Um Something really impressive is Oscar does come one game away from going to the finals and beating the Celtics, the 63 Celtics. And, you know, beating Russell at this point is unheard of. He's going to go on to win another five rings after this. Um, In that series, Oscar Robertson is 33 points a game, 12 rebounds, eight and a half assists on 48% shooting. Um, He's really just unstoppable. 
and the game seven dropped 43 points so yeah played well although sam jones had 47 that that's a nice game from sam jones i might have to move oh, yeah. up my uh, shooting guard rankings i'm a I'm, big sam jones supporter i'm fine leaving it with uh, oscar at three and west at four i just i the world has forgotten how good Jerry West is, and I will take any chance I get to argue with it. I think there is a huge drop-off from West to the next tier of point guards. Absolutely. Just looking Matrix-wise, um, from number 32 in the Matrix to 43 in the Matrix, we have seven different point guards. So like a really tight cluster. We're talking 12 spots, seven point guards, um, and then two more hit 49 and 50. Um but like that 32 to 50 range, just so many point guards. Um, and I was actually kind of surprised at how much I moved up some guys and moved some guys down. Who do you have as that fifth best point guard? I ended up going with Chris Paul. Same. I think that's I think it's the right decision. I He's the too. point guard. You know, I was just really looking at guys and I was like, all right, because that, that range includes Nash and Kidd. And I was like, all right, Paul has better defense than both of them. Arguably as good of offensive Nash. And as good a passing as Kid, like no, he doesn't have the MVPs. He didn't have the finals runs that Kid had. Um, and, and part of that is the the lack of playoff success. Listen, maybe that can be attributed to his bad injury luck history, which maybe I should hold that more against him. You know, the fact that he was never healthy or his teammates were never healthy. But I I feel like there's not a lot of differentiation between him and the guy that I've got ranked 13th for point guards. It's super close. If you if you took my if you took Chris Paul number five and shuffled him all the way down with number 13, I, I really wouldn't bat an eye. Um, the thing with Paul is I understand like kid goes to the finals. Chris Paul could have taken the Nets to the finals. Yeah. It's not like, the, yeah, those Nets teams are not fantastic. It's not something to say like, well, you know, it's something I, I applaud kid for doing, but at the same time. The West was incredibly dominant. I think the second round teams in the West probably would have beat the East. Um, so it's, it's cool that he makes the finals. But I don't feel like saying, ah, he's the best player to make on a two-time finals team isn't like fully, fully accurate or it's a little misleading of a statement. I, I never like when people just crowd, well, he got to the finals and Chris yeah. Paul never did, or he won an MVP and Chris Paul never did. Like there's there's levels to this. Like um there's there is a difference between accomplishing and uh and production. Who do you have number six? I love I mean, I could talk about this. If I ever meet you know, we meet somebody and they know about basketball. I'm just going to ask who is your five through 13th best point guards ever. It's the most interesting conversation you can have. Um, for, for six, I went with Koozie. Ooh, I like it. It's I had Isaiah Thomas, but I do have Koozie seventh and I'm, I'm okay with okay. him up there. I had Isaiah seventh, which is really a surprise for me because the numbers don't like Isaiah Thomas and he's always rated pretty poorly in the, the matrix were like poorer than I would have expected. But when I'm just lining these guys up side by side of like, Hey, who could be the best player on a championship team? And Kuzi, I, I will Ooh. argue that Kuzi potentially was the best player on in the, the 57 championship team. Um, it was pointed out to me that Bill Russell missed half the season, or uh, not half, like the first 20 games of the season to compete. Kuzi was MVP. Kuzi was MVP. Someone pointed out that Bill was missing, and they're like, yeah, once Bill showed up, he was going to be MVP. But I just, Kuzi did a lot. And, and like Kuzi was MVP. Kuzi was actually a really great scorer. I know his field goal percentage is terrible, but you know if you dive into the numbers and look at league field goal percentage and true shooting, um, he's actually pretty decent relative to the era, as well oh, as yeah. being uh, an elite passer 
I mean, he leads the playoffs and assists eight times. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I just eight straight times. And he also leads the playoffs in assists per game eight straight times as well. Another thing to note, Bob Cousy has three third oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm reading the wrong thing. Um, has two second place finishes in points per game in uh, 1954 and 1955. It's a world where he has scoring titles. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I, I think really relative to era, Cousy's just miles ahead of uh, of anyone else playmaking wise they're like you know and he's like hey guys you know you can run with the basketball like watch this um you can go behind your back you can use both hands like i, I love the whole like bag community of like hey Kyrie's got the biggest bag and i'm like that doesn't mean anything like he's got all these skills all these tricks but what is he doing with them and what bob Cousy was doing with them was winning championships and like pushing the game forward Kyrie's over here kind of goofing off and got lucky to be with LeBron for a little bit. Like it's a different level. So that's my argument for Kuzi is six. What holds Kuzi back on my all-time rankings is he doesn't win anything until Russell gets there. Him and Bill Sharman are there for a long time before Russell shows up and they, they really don't, there's no finals appearances. Um, They're just kind of there. The defense is always really bad. And then obviously having Russell really helps that. Um, you know, to be to be fair, most of these guys need to not be the best player or need to be in kind of a greater grouping of guys. Like I, Isaiah Thomas is arguably the best Piston. Um, he wins the finals MVP in 89, but Joe Dumars gets it in 90. That team has one of the most physically dominant front lines. And that's really how you build a team around a championship point guard is you have Bill Lampier, you have John Sally, you have Rick Mahorn, you have Dennis Rodman, like can you ask for more rebounding and defense than those four guys? The 89 Pistons and really the 90 Pistons, you could write a book. And I'm sure they have written books on I own how them. to, I bet you have how to build a championship team. Um, it, they're perfect. I, and, and in a sense, it goes back to your saying about Kid, where it's a little disingenuous to say, well, he was the best player on a final team. Like, yeah, by a little bit. And also, they were like one of the most perfectly tailored basketball teams of all time. And that's a little what holds. Isaiah Thomas back, you may see that's kind of why I'd rather have Kuzi instead. Um, another thing about Kuzi that's kind of underrated, he's dragging basketball by its collar into a watchable, feasible product. Sure. Do you know who owns the record for the most free throws made in a basketball game? Um, May, so we're ruling out Shaq. Uh, if we were just doing attempted, it's either Shaq or Wilt. Um, I, I still feel like Wilt has a good shot at this. I, it's a wilt for the uh, for the regular season, I believe. But all, overall and all time, it's Bob Cousy with thirty. Really? And the way that happened? Oh wait, wait, wait! Thirty for Doesn't thirty-two, have... and he dropped. He scored fifty points. Um, that has got to be the least watchable basketball game ever. Do you? The way this happened is there was no shot clock, and the Celtics were up, and the other team kept fouling. And Kuzi went to the line and knocked him down. And really, you're talking about someone who's making basketball fun in that era. Yeah, They aren't even selling tickets. Oh, man. I just dropped a piece on Hoop Social about the first MB- or the first BAA season, the 46-47 season. Um, and, and it's wild. Everything the Toronto Huskies are trying to do to get basketball. Like, you know, ladies get in free. Um, 
buy one, get eight free tickets. Anybody as tall as our starting center gets in free. Just like just wild, you know, programs. Uh, and they're still struggling. Meanwhile, the Washington Capitals, coached by Red Arback, had to like stop doing promos because basketball was thriving in the capital. It's a strange time for basketball. So we agree we have Magic, Steph, Oscar, West, Chris Paul, Kuzi, Isaiah Thomas. Yes. No arguments uh, against Isaiah Thomas being there. You're at number right. seven. He's who. That's right where I have him. I mean, the guy, the guy won the championships in between Magic and Bird and Jordan, and he gets forgotten a lot. Um, I, I will also say that part of him getting forgotten is that he's nowhere near statistically dominant as either of them or any of those players. He's inefficient. In Bill, he's inefficient. But in Bill Simmons' book of basketball, um, it, he begins it with the soliloquy of hanging out with Isaiah Thomas at a topless pool in Vegas and Isaiah giving him the secret to basketball, which is it's not about basketball. You got to sacrifice. You got to do less. Um, and part of me really likes that because yeah, it's, it's a team game. If you're out there trying to get all yours, you're, you're not going to win. But the other part of me is like, nah, be better. If you're just better and you get all of yours, your team will win. And like, there's not Magic Johnson being like, I got to do less. Maybe I got to let James Worthy run the offense for a little bit. Magic's just like, I am the best point guard there is. I'm going to do everything that I can. Like Kobe is like, I am the best scorer. I'm going to shoot. Don't even talk to me about passing. And Isaiah's like, well, you know, maybe I got to do off ball and like hang out over here a little bit. So I've said before, and I think we've probably said the same thing where there are two kinds of NBA superstars, those that impose their will on the game and those that let the game come to them. And there's there, those are both very effective at times. And Isaiah is certainly one of them that lets the game come to him. And if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Isaiah Thomas is second all time in assists when he retires. Is that true? I don't know. About or is he third? Time. I think he might be third. I think it's magic then Oscar, then him, at least in that by 1994. That sounds about right. That's about right, because Stockton wouldn't pass that up for a while, for a little bit, at least. But but still, I mean, his playmaking was extremely good. He's at least top five by the time he retires. Yeah, if you look at the guys that are ahead of him, it's Stockton, Kidd, Paul, Nash, Mark Jackson, Magic, LeBron, Oscar. So uh, all of those guys, aside from Oscar and Magic, retire after him, so... Probably third. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with, with Isaiah Thomas at uh, at seven. All right, who you got at eight? I had Stockton. I have Steve Nash. Okay. I kind of just was looking at this. Like Stockton has the best longevity, the greatest long term. Um, but I kind of want a guy that, like, at least at one point, was one of the five to ten best players in the league. Like that that kind of matters to me in some ways. Yeah. That's, I think that's important. Stockton is just so good for so long, but somehow manages to teeter that line between good and great forever. I think in, yeah. in referencing Bill Simmons' book again, he, he calls Stockton in Nash being in Utah for all that time, like having missionary sex for 20 straight years. You are having sex, but it is missionary sex the whole time. And I would think that's what Stockton is. I mean, it's uh, that's probably a fair and fine way to look at it. Ellen, welcome. What's up? How's hey. it going? Not too bad. Good, good. You just missed Aaron comparing uh, John Stockton to missionary sex? That's what he is. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know you are having sex, but at the same time, it's missionary the whole time for twenty years in Utah. It's never that great, but you know it's there. <laughs> no dry spells. <laughs> yes, no dry spells. You're always gonna have you know a great you know great uh, a great show every night, but at the same time, you know think about like what if you had like Jason Kidd or like Magic Johnson? Like, that'd be kind of Steve Nash. That'd be kind of cool. They go behind their back <laughs> the basketball. <laughs> Seven point guards all time. Magic, Steph, yeah. Oscar, Wes, Chris Paul, Bob Cousy, and Isaiah Thomas. That's what we did. Very cool I, stuff. I like Chris Paul in there. Yeah, number five. And we both agreed on that. We didn't number have to five. really think about it. Number yeah. five. Wow. That's, that's pretty high, isn't it? it I think like it's right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I think it's right. I can't see people put like Gary Payton ahead of Chris Paul. That's fucking bullshit. That's garbage. <laughs> it's, it's almost unanimous. Isaiah Thomas is ranked ahead of Chris Paul. I push back. I actually interesting. I had him um, ahead of Chris Paul originally on my when I made my most recent edition of my top seventy five players, but I ended up changing it pretty much immediately because I, I think I'm, that's one of the mistakes I made where I got too wrapped up in the titles and Isaiah Thomas just isn't as good. Mm, yeah, it's like the. It's the Derek Rose um, effect where, like, you're the best player on a team that's only good because they're really good at defense. But you're the best offensive player on a team that's only good because it's good at defense. Really well said. Really well said. All right. Well, now that Dylan's here, we can actually start the show. Now that I'm here to slander Derek Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Are you not not a Derek Rose guy? That's a good point. That was just one of the best defensive teams in the league. And now that you mention it, I have 22 point guards. Derrick Rose is not one of them. And I think it's a thing that's right. Yeah, let me see here. Because I, I did get down to ranking. No, I didn't. Nope, didn't make it down to Rose. <laughs> I thought I did. I saw his name on the list. Yeah, how many more point guards are in between where I stopped ranking the Matrix and Derrick Rose? Uh, there are 14 more point guards between where I stopped and where Derrick Rose is. How many, how many did you get in? I got 21 in. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's, I don't think I'd go that far. But I understand why the Matrix would cut that short. My number eight nomination now is Jason Kidd. Let's see here. All right. We've got some differences. I, I went okay. with Steve Nash. I totally flexible with that. I had him in number nine. And that's one of those where I looked at it. I said, you know, if Nate has, has Nash, I'll, 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 roll, I'll roll over. I'll accept it. Well, that's no fun for the listeners. Let's at least make the case. Tell me why you had Kidd there. Yeah, sure. Jason Kidd has a four-year stretch of four straight first-team NBAs, and he is second MVP voting, barely behind Duncan in 2003. And his winning impact in that era is so clear. Defensively, he is so much better than Steve Nash. And I think for the mid-2000s, that's kind of what was most effective. And obviously, Nash still had his success and still was able to run teams very well. But you could argue Kidd's doing basically the same thing, and in a way, it could be underrated. Sure, sure. I... I hate judging players entirely by wins and losses um, because like that Steve Nash team before Robert Ory hip checked him and caused the suspensions w- was well on its way to being a championship team. Like I, I have little <laughs> doubt that they would have won had they gotten past the Spurs. Uh, and I know that's that might be a little bit too forgiving to just say, well, if this didn't happen that. But like kid had some really easy pathways. Um, I was reading through an article of like of of everyone that Tim Duncan prevented from getting to the finals. Do you want to know how do you want to know how many times Steve Nash lost to Tim Duncan in the playoffs? I think it's like 5 times. 7 times. Jeez, man. 
the Spurs were just a machine of basketball death that strangled the Western Conference for a while. Absolutely. And so when I, I look at that, I'm like, oh, why are you not able to get out of the West? It's because you kept playing the Spurs. He loses to the Lakers. He loses to the Mavericks. Like, I, I'd I say guess- I hold I hold Nash's playoff success at about the same as I do kids. Mm-hmm. Good point. Then we're discussing the fact that Nash has two MVPs, which you know we can quibble whether or not they're deserved, but he is the driving force behind all of that offense and really kind of revolutionizes the game. Um, I was also thinking about these guys a lot in kind of um, concert with Isaiah Thomas um, and, and Chris Paul and what you need to win around a small guard who is like a brilliant playmaker and a pretty good scorer. Um, and it just, Isaiah Thomas got that big front line. He got John Sally, Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, and, and like they were able to physically bruise people. And if you look at those Nets teams, look at those, those Suns teams, none of them had it. And it just kind of made me sad to think about like, you know, we can look at the one time the small guard was successful in winning a championship um, prior to their era. And the blueprint was there, and both their teams just didn't do it. They were really close, though. I feel like they the breaks kind of fell apart, and I, they had championship fast sure. break. I mean, the Nets, I don't think the Nets were beating anyone that came out of the West, really. I mean, even in 2002, let's say the Kings pulled off, we were going to beat the breaks off that Nets team. Um, but yeah. Sure. You could argue that Kid had less help, in a sense, had, had worse teammates than, than Nash. Yeah. In Phoenix compared to uh, New Jersey. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, when did Matumbo get there? I mean, he was old. He was old at that point. Yeah, all right. Matumbo didn't do much for him. I don't know why I remember Matumbo being more impactful on their run, but he's like 11 minutes a night. So we're talking about Sean Marion, Joe Johnson, Quentin Richardson, Amari Stoudemire versus some combination of Kerry Kittles, Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson, and Kenyon Martin. Yeah, Nash had more yeah. help, but he also had a much tougher road. I think at that point it uh, it evens out. Are you comfortable going Nash at eight here? I am comfortable at Nash at eight. Um, and I have a curveball that kind of breaks from tradition for who I would like to do nine. Okay. And b- before I tell you who it is, I just want to pull up a number here. I want to talk to you about a player named Jeffrey. We're, we're just going to call him Jeffrey. Okay, you can call him Jeffrey. We're going to call him Jeffrey. Um, and Jeffrey had six of these series. Uh, it, in the first, Jeffrey... He averaged 31 points, 11 assists on 55% field goal. Pr- pretty good series, right? That's great. Second series, 30 or 35 points, 6.5 assists, 52% from the floor. Pretty good, right? I think it's great. Third one, 41 points, 8.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 50% from the floor. Who is this? I'm looking at all Four. my names. I am not following. Keep going. Fourth series, 27 points. Five rebounds, four point two assists, forty one point five percent from the floor. Well, it's not Russell. It's not. It's not Russell Westbrook. I'll tell it, you that. It is, <laughs> it is not. It is not. That, my friend, is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Okay. That, that fourth playoff series is the one where he went up against Gary Payton. Ah. Uh, that is a precipitous see. drop. Is that where you're headed with this? That is Gary where Payton. I'm headed with this. I man. I've been looking at these lists. I've been. You know, scouring the internet, and Peyton is quite commonly left off, or he's in the honorable mentions. Um, and it, if we were to just go straight through the matrix, picks here, let's see, straight through the matrix, Peyton ends up behind two other guys that we've still got on this list. Um, 
you know, if we look at just the writer's poll, which is just an amalgamation of different rankings that, you know, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Bleacher Report, Slam, like d- different publications that have at least captured the, the you know, national attention. Um, Payton is the 12th best point guard, but he is a two-way player, you know, offense and defense. He's not as good of a passer. I almost wish he was listed as a shooting guard because I feel like if he was a shooting guard, we'd almost consider him higher. I know the shooting guard rankings are much worse. Um, like after the fifth best shooting guard, it really drops off. But he'd probably be the the fifth, sixth best shooting guard. Yeah, I mean it's it's him or George Gervin and somewhere in there. Uh, and, and we'll get to that. I just don't have that list pulled up right now. But I don't know. I just I want to I want to at least make the case that Peyton's defense and playmaking and scoring outweighs. Um, outweighs what Jason Kidd could do, outweighs what John Stockton could do, who is just plummeting down these rankings. I'm in favor of his of his plummeting. From age 24 to thir- uh, 35, Payton is 20 points per game, seven and a half assists, four and a half rebounds on 47% shooting. And then they're making the playoffs basically every year, including a few deep playoff runs like the their finals were in, in uh, 96. I, I love it personally. I, I think I, I like the pick. Are I'm a, I, I I like it. I do. I really do. You're able. You're. I'm able to talk you into the him over a kid. Over a kid. I thought kid was locked in. Oh no no no. Okay. So by my count, we've got Magic at one, Curry at two, Oscar at three, West at four, Chris Paul at five, Koozie at six, Isaiah Thomas at seven, Steve Nash at eight, and I am arguing for Gary Payton at nine. Okay, so Steve Nash did get locked in. Yes. Okay. Okay. Nash got locked in. We did talk about that. One second. Let me see. This is this is the bright side of being the XL guy. I can kind of just change things around when you're not looking. <laughs> That's true. Gary Payton over Jason Kidd. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just I can't I can't get there. I can't quite get there. All right, push back. Tell me why we're pushing back. You're with conventional wisdom here in saying in that you can't get there. Um, and, and it is a hard case to make. Like there's, I don't have a ton of data. I just, I look at that Jordan fall off, you know, his first fantastic defensive player, just one of the best defensive players. And we truly underrate just how meaningful he was at defense. Um, He never gets as close in the MVP rankings. He gets a third place in 98, but that's still pretty high though for, for what the guys we're talking about. It is, it is. But we're leaving MVP. I think for I think for kid, there's that four. There's the four year stretch of of first team all NBA's that I just I can't seem to look away from. Um, He he is five. We're talking about five time all NBA first team, and it's really kind of at the same time that Gary Payton gets his two ninety eight and two thousand. Then kid is nine is um. 99-2002 for his four straight and then 2004. And he has the same amount of all defensive teams, although only four of them are in the first. Also, something to consider, I feel like, man, do we feel like, what do we think about Kidd's role in 2011 versus Peyton's role versus 2006? Do you, do you, think, that, do you think that matters at all here? Oh, Kidd was a much more important player in 2011 than yep. Kidd, or than uh, Peyton was in 2006. Like, Not to be mean, but Gary Payton was really bad in 2006. Have you, have you looked back and... Well, sure. I, he was he wasn't great in two thousand and four, and I watched every single game of that Lakers season, or every game that I could, which was probably like forty of them. Because he is thirty seven. I'm not gonna. I'll give him a break. I don't. I obviously do not hold it against him, but he yeah. does shoot thirty six percent from the field and averages two and a half points a game. Well, and he just plays twenty four minutes. Like that's a lot. I, I, that's I, a long time. That's a long time. 
Well, I, I've been surprised at, at how much of this you look at guys and you're just like, let's just boil everything out. How much did your team want to have you on the floor? Like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some points where it just doesn't matter. Like, hey, Giannis is more beneficial if he plays 33 versus 36. Um, but even still, we're seeing them try to ramp him up uh, in the playoffs and get him up to that 40. Um, and when I'm just seeing guys that are like supposed to be the lead guys on teams getting like 30 something minutes a night in the playoffs, I just I, I question it. And so Peyton getting 24 minutes a night when you're only playing like a seven man rotation, that's that's not that great. Yeah. Kid in so. the playoffs averages 38 and a half minutes a game. He's basically always out there, even at the end. It's in, in, the, in the finals, 2011, he averages 37 minutes per night. Yeah. That's a lot of minutes. I think I'm going to say, oh, that's something interesting I'm noticing is Gary Payne's actually won one more playoff game than Jason Kidd. But I'm going to say, let's go Kidd at eight and we can take Payton at, sorry, let's go um, Kidd at nine. Let's go Payton at 10. What do you think? I, I can live with that. Um, that does leapfrog kid over John Stockton in my mind or in my rankings, but I'm, I'm willing to be okay with that. Totally fine. Totally fine with that. Are we going to, we should talk, should we talk about Stockton? Yeah. Talk, should we talk about Stockton now? Well, is he your number 11 or there's, there's kind of two more guys that you could possibly put into this conversation. And those are Walt Frazier and Russell Westbrook. That's, that's the, those are the two guys I had as well. I did have Stockton over those two guys. At some point there is a longevity and an, the longevity issue with Frazier uh, and an effect in this issue with Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. I think you'd rather have missionary sex for 20 years than have great sex for seven. <laughs> I just and have know what questionably, of... questionably dangerous sex there with Russell go. Westbrook where you really question if like your safe words are working. I think that's, that's what it is. So on the safe word discussion, do you prefer Betty White or pineapple? I think Betty White works better. And clearly Westbrook doesn't listen to any of the safe words his team has because he just kind of does it every once. I think I think that's fair. You know, I mean, I, I would rank them Stockton, Frazier, Westbrook. I, Westbrook inarguably has the highest peak, um, has done the most with, with the role that he's been given. Um, and I should say that all of these guys are either right or are, are within the top 50 or right outside of it in the matrix. So like we've gone... 13 players deep um and they're all top 50 all-time players like point guards cards are important strong position yeah that's exactly the order i had them in the thing with westbrook is at some point you step back and and be like what am i valuing here what's important in basketball and can you win a playoff series can i trust you in the playoffs that's what matters you can dick around in the regular season as much as you want but if you really buckle down and play well in the playoffs, really all is forgiven. It's kind of the opposite with Westbrook. Like At some point, I don't really care that he can take a 21 team to 45 wins if that team loses in the first round every time. I do. I've been thinking a lot about this because we're, we're going to get to shooting guards. Um, and I've been really trying to measure how much do I value being the guy that takes the team to 45 wins versus being you know the third option on a, on a team that wins more. And I do think that at some point, you're a better player if you're the best guy on a team that wins 45 games than if you're the third best guy on a team that wins 60 games. But at the same time, we saw Westbrook have the chance to be that second guy, and it was his inability to adapt and to adjust that I'm knocking him for. Westbrook has shot 39% in the playoffs since 2016. That's not a small sample size. That is his That is his career cut in half. That is the exact as 800-something games. 800-something games? That doesn't sound right. Whatever his ha- half his career is, that's pretty much what it is. Um and he's 
pretty much never been a f- super effective. And at the same time, like whenever I mentioned Westbrook on my TikTok page called Possible Chairs, go check that out. Um, people always say, well, he took the Wizards to the playoffs just a year ago. Like, how could you forget that? Yeah, and then he shoots 37% from the field and they lose in the first round in five. The Wizards were statistically better with him off the floor. You run into that thing. He, you run into this issue where, yeah, Westbrook's going to give you 30, 10, and 10. You're, but at some point when the games matter, you have to kind of relegate him to a smaller role, and that's probably not going to happen. I think I'm comfortable with him having... Because um, Frazier's an insane playoff performer. He yeah. consistently played very well. I think he went to three straight finals, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, it's it really I mean, sucks because like, there's no easy way to split Frazier and get him into the top 10. Like you are leaving out a staple of a name to like leave him off, and you can say he's one of the best defensive guards, but then you gotta gotta have Gary Payton above him. Um, it, it it's really hard to get Frazier into the top ten, so he gets left out of this a lot. But he is closer to top ten than he will be anyone we talk about after these guys. I agree, and it gets real interesting after these guys. So my my question as we move out of these guys is how many more point guards. Do you have making the top 100 or, or that you think are at least contenders for the top 100? Like, where does that line stop for you? I had 22 in total. And okay. I think I, I, I may have overdone it on purpose because I really didn't want to miss out on guys. And even this morning I was checking and I'm like, I can't believe I forgot this guy and this guy. Um, yeah. So if anything, I have more people than necessary and we'll whittle. We'll, we can cut it down to a certain amount. Okay. How many did you well, have? Um, I stopped at 21, but there are a couple of names right outside of there that I couldn't quite parse. Um, and, and like, I feel bad looking at one of the names. I'm like, ah, he's not in my top 100, um, but I feel like he's got a case to be there. A lot of it hinges on one award that I'm not entirely sure he should have gotten, um, but w- we can get to that. Is this, is this Dennis Johnson? Are you talking about yeah, Dennis, Johnson? Dennis Johnson? Dennis, yeah, I knew it was Dennis Johnson. <laughs> um, yeah, Dennis Johnson. Okay, so we're, we're sold on Stockton, Frazier, Westbrook in that order. Yeah. Sounds good. I had I had uh, Damian Lillard, number 14. Okay. So in the Matrix, Damian Lillard came in as the 15th best point guard, just two total spots behind tiny Archibald. So I'm going to guess Archibald is your 15th? That's true. Archibald's on 15th. We are on fire. What was your um, your breakdown of why Lillard over Archibald? Lillard doesn't have an insane playoff resume, but at the same time, Archibald Archibald has these first team NBA appearances. He has the thirty points, um, the above league in points and assists one year, if I, if I remember correctly. He only makes the playoffs one time in in Kansas City, and while it's difficult to make the playoffs in that era, you can say X, Y, and Z. That hurts. He's putting up these numbers, a team's winning 35 games, and at least Dame goes to the playoffs and really plays very well in them. That that was honestly pretty much the only difference. Also, there is a longevity thing. Dame has been really good for a long time. I, I mean, it's the way the Matrix looks at people is it does take some career totals into consideration. Um, and, and when they're two, part, two spots away from each other, but Dame still has more of his career left, like... I doubt he's going to have another one of his top five seasons. I doubt he's going to have another top three year. Um, he might have another one of the 10 best years of his career. But like, he's not going to really massively change, but he could continue to build that legacy. So I'm I'm totally fine and with Lillard over or Archibald. I mean, the the 30 points, 10 assists is, is both impressive and just kind of sad. Like, you know, we talk about Westbrook doing triple doubles and not always paying off. And that... It really doesn't pay off for Tiny Archibald. And you look at the rest of his team, 
And I kind of wonder how we got the 10 assists in all honesty, because that the rest of that team is not good. Not good. Yeah. And maybe we're not accounting for that in the sense we're holding his playoff or lack of playoff success against him, but I don't necessarily blame him. That team probably wildly overachieved, if anything. Also coached by Bob Cousy. Pretty cool stuff. That could not have been fun. <laughs> I do not feel like Bob Cousy would be a fun man to play for. Now that you mention it, yeah, probably not. Like if if I had to make a list of the worst NBA legends to play for, Cousy's got to be in that top ten. I think Bill Russell should would probably be one of them. Uh, not to be, he did he coached the Kings for a while. I, I think his standards are so high. I've never heard horror stories, but his standards have to be so high that if he he must have just given up. And, and for all accounts, I heard that he basically did in his time coaching the Kings. He just kind of read the newspaper during practice because he's like, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I, I have a hard disagreement with him being inducted in the Hall of Fame as a coach. Like, I get it. First black coach. That's historic. Um, Absolutely. That, that doesn't mean he was good at it. Like, as soon as he stopped coaching himself, he just was a terrible coach, which just tells me that he's an amazing player. His first season, he's the player coach is 67, and they lose. They're outmatched that year, and he ends up getting some assistant coaches to essentially deal with substitutions because it obviously playing the entire game and trying to keep track of substitutions became too much for him. And mm-hmm. then they win the next two titles. Have you ever heard Kenny talk about playing for Bill Russell? I have. I have on the have bus. Ever, yeah. I've heard about that story. Yeah. Well, for the listeners that haven't heard the Bill Russell, Kenny, the Jet Smith, Kenny gets on the bus as a rookie. And Bill's like, you're going to come sit by me. He's like, oh man, why am I going to sit by Bill? And Bill's like, Listen, everyone else on this team is a loser. Don't talk to them. Don't interact with them. They all suck. And I don't want them to get their loser stink on you. That's essentially the mindset he had. I have what? a newspaper article saved from the Sacramento Bee detailing his time coaching the team. Is it favorable? No. Didn't think so. No, it's not. All right. But we got more point guards to discuss for who could possibly be top 100. Um, I've got a cluster of these next guys, um, which is really interesting because it actually has quite a range in the matrix. But I, I really love um, kind of the similarity of my next three. And I'm not going to give them to you in order. I'm just going to try to go alphabetically. Mm-hmm. We're, so we're stuck on really quickly. We're good on Dame 14, Archibald 15. Yes. Sounds perfect. All right. So these were the next three up for me. And they are in alphabetical order, Kevin Johnson, Kyrie Irving, and Tim Hardaway Sr. Interesting. I did not include Tim Hardaway. You did not include Tim Hardaway Sr. I did not include. I, I feel like. I should have. That's someone I probably, I thought about, but probably should have looked more into. Can I offer my number 16 guy that's not either either one of those guys? Yeah, sure. Just for thought. I had Lenny Wilkins at 16. Mm-hmm. Lenny Wilkins did not make my top 21. He should have. Totally should have. Okay. Talk to me about Lenny Wilkins, and I'm going to talk to you about Kevin Johnson. Wilkins is a nine-time All-Star. He's a one-time assist champ. He never makes an All-NBA team, mostly because he plays behind Oscar and West the entire time. Okay, that's two. That's two. Yeah, wh- who are the other two I'm, guards? I'm not entirely sure who the other two guards are. This is like the thing that I hate, is people are like, yeah, Reggie couldn't make All-Star teams, but he was behind Michael Jordan. I'm like, yeah, sure. And, like... <laughs> there, there are other people. Just... I understand. It is Koozie uh, making it every year for the first half, and then how Greer was... I think Hal Greer was like nine-time straight second-team All-NBA. Okay. Uh, so him, and then it looks like Sam Jones, essentially. Pretty stiff competition. Yeah, pretty much. Man, I didn't think I didn't think Lenny Wilkins would be a hot topic. I should have uh, I should have prepared. Um, for assists per game, 
He led league one time, but also has one, two, three, four second place finishes and two third place finishes. So he's always up there in assists. Now, he doesn't win a ton of playoff games, but he is 31 and 33 in the playoffs and plays fairly well in them. I, I, you know, he's in the NBA's top 75. I figured at least in the top 100, to be fair. Yeah. Not sold. Not, don't like Lenny Wilkins. That's interesting. No, I mean, you know, the, the way that you and I both like looking at win shares is based on uh, doubling playoff win shares. That's true. Um, because like that's that's what really matters here. And, you know, it's not uncommon for a guy to have like 17 regular season win shares and have like three or four in the playoffs. Um, and if we look at Lenny Wilkins uh, and his career numbers, he comes in 132nd in career win shares. That's true. His best win share season doubling for playoffs, 347th. That's not great. It's not looking good for my Lenny Wilkins case. It's not. If we look at how we, I rebuilt the matrix, which gives you um, a point and a quarter, actually, yeah, a point and a quarter for assists. Um, actually, no, it's a, it's a point and a half, a full point and a half for assists, one point for points, um, and at that time period, like 0.9 for a rebound. Um, his top combined averages come out 100th best. Hey, 100. Check it out. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> okay, his peak counting stats, 100, his peak... Win shares, 347th. So, like, let's split the difference and meet somewhere in that range. <laughs> Not as ideal. You know, I'm, you know, I, I, I will, uh, I'll, um, back away from that. It's, at that point, at that point, okay. No Lenny Wilkins. That's too bad. I mean, you know, what, what are we even really talking about here? Lenny Wilkins' career, 6.7 assists, 16.5 points per game. It's a different era. It's a different era. It's a different era. Um, it's an incredibly fast era that people should be scoring more. Assists are much harder to come by. He did not score a lot. He didn't. He didn't score much. Um, and, and like to be fair, they've invented the all defensive teams uh, in '69, so he's 31. Um, but I'm, I've never heard people really rave about the great defense of Lenny Wilkins. Maybe I can make something up right now. Tell you how good he was defensively. Go for it. And maybe you can make something up about like how great one of his teammates were that was really carrying. The team. He's got Clayton, he's got some of the, the tail end of Bob Pettit. Um, you know, it's just like what he's an actor. Totally he's fair. Fine. He's fine. He's f- all right, all right, okay. I'll, I'll, I I get it, I get it. Let me hear your uh your argument for your nomination. You have three of them. I think I have all of those guys I'm most interested in Kyrie. So uh you shot down, just ripped to pieces my Lenny Wilkins suggestion. Absolutely. Who do you have who do you have in his place? In his place, I have Kevin Johnson. I like Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson's someone I had actually forgotten about when I originally made this and added earlier this morning. I'm like, totally forgot about KJ. See, Kevin Johnson was like on a path to being really good, and he never, he never quite got there. He had some injury issues back half of his career. You start seeing those games play a drop from the 70s, 49, 67, 47, 50. Like it, it falls off. He's got injuries, but part of me really once this list i i value like a five-year peak i think more than anything else like the one and done type of guys i'm not super into and the guys that are like pretty average for 20 years i'm also not into like i want someone that really meant something they had a hold like a hold on the nba for at least a little bit yeah and so he he tops out as you know, three straight All NBA second teams gets a third team, then gets another second a little bit away. 
But I just want to read you the guys that are in in the All NBA teams his years. Okay. So starting in '89, um, the guys that finish ahead of him in the voting are like Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan, Magic Johnson, John Stockton, then Kevin Johnson. That's a pretty like we are talking about two top ten players in NBA history, and one mileage varies. We're lower on Stockton, but general consensus is a top thirty five guy. Like that's that's solid. A good sign for him is he's competing against the guys that are ahead of him or guys that we are ranking ahead of him. So it's not like he is underperforming in a sense. Uh, The second year, he's behind Magic, Michael, John Stockton. So he's he's the fourth guy on the team. Um, But ahead of Joe Dumars, who would win finals MVP in 90, and Clyde Drexler, who would take the Blazers to the finals. Uh, The third year, he's behind Michael, Magic, ahead of Drexler, John Stockton, and Joe Dumars again. It's it's a short period, but I think I value those three years a lot more than anyone else. And I don't care that he didn't quite have as much success. He makes the finals. He doesn't have particularly great finals. Um, but I really value his just stranglehold on the position for those couple of years and really being a top player. Even with that being said, and the game start to drop off from age 22 to 30, which is 80 to 97, he's 20 points per game and 10 assists on 49% shooting. So his effectiveness is still there, even if the game's played starts to fall off a little bit. I'm okay with that. I like Kevin Johnson. He was our mayor for a little bit. Oh, really? Or, some, or something. I'm <laughs> pretty sure. I remember, seeing, I remember seeing him in the paper a lot. He was the 55th mayor of Sacramento. Kevin Johnson was the 55th mayor of Sacramento. Yeah, he was. Impressive. Yeah, as far as I know, pretty good. Uh, pretty good mayor. Watch him actually have been like a terrible mayor with a huge scandal, but just <laughs> neither of us were that involved in politics during the time. He slipped under our nose. All right, so are we are we good with uh Kevin Johnson sneaking in? Yeah, yeah. I I am one hundred percent there with Kevin Johnson. I'm sold. I'm all in. So we're on to number seventeen. Can I interest you in a Tim Hardaway senior? It's either him or Kyrie. I think that's where I'm at, and you could convince me that yeah tim hardaway should be on there and tim hardaway has a fairly similar case in there of just like he had this really high peak at at one point um i'm a i'm a basketball book junkie because i like i you can't transport yourself back like i hate trying to retroactively look back and be like ah this player would have had this or that um and i really appreciate reading things that were written in the time period of just like how people felt about Tim Hardaway and how people felt about different players. Um, so from the 1991-92 Basketball Almanac, which sold for $5.95 in the day and had 300 NBA players, like it's a beautiful little Looks amazing. Um, this is the analysis that they have on Tim Hardaway Sr. Tim Hardaway looks like a future superstar, especially with name point guards like Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas that now in their 30s, he has all this could be another player of magnitude. All Hardaway needs, needs to show is the ability to lift a team to a higher level. His career is off to a flying start. I think That's at that point, into his career. and they were they were really right, really only a knee injury in 94. He missed the whole season. Derails that. Also, only winning 21 playoff games his whole career. Kind of stings. It does. But I, I feel like at this point, you know, it, if people want to start arguing there's a lot of guys. This, I think, is where it really opens up um, and you start putting a high number of different guys in these spots. But Tim was on that ascension path. Tim was actually going to be one of those guys. And the run TMC Warriors 
are like a, a staple of early 90s basketball. And so I, I kind of give him the historical nod. I mean, if you want to make a case for Kyrie, I'll listen. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Just just the personal dislike of Kyrie keeps him lower for you. It's not a personal dislike. I just, I feel like there's so much Kyrie hype that it's my responsibility to be reasonable about him. I also want to reflect sure. quickly that Hardaway recently apologized profusely and insincerely about some past comments he had made. And uh, I, that, that was, that was, uh, that, that was a really big step for him. I, I worried that yeah. he was going to own, like own those up until uh, forever, essentially. But, uh, and, and I think if you look into it, he's been just one of the most active people in the LGBT community for a long time because of, because uh, of what he said. he said he hates gay people for the listeners. And, and he said a lot more than that, yeah, but he's had some horrible homophobic comments but also has done the work or since then um post-playing career you know kind of out of the spotlight sort of stuff so like i don't know you and i we're both jewish how do you feel about Myers leonard i don't really care but i don't he shouldn't what did he what did he even say what did he do i honestly forgot what he did so i'll bleep does he say that editing. blur on on playing cod or something yeah so i'll bleep this during editing um he was playing COD and trying to kill someone, and he said, die, you damn c***. <laughs> That's fucking, oh my god. Who says that? I don't, I, not that I'm like, oh, I don't take offense to it, but it's just yeah. a ridiculous slur his, that no one uses anymore. Hello? His response to, like, people, people questioning him using that slur was oh well i have a lot of friends that are in the military or police and that's what they say i was like dude oh that's that's not that's not good either oh man all right i don't think myers leonard's making our top 100 well i'm just saying all of this because myers leonard um met with a rabbi and did a fair amount of work and then kind of threw that work away um some of his other comments have been like oh yeah you know these owners just don't want to hire me because they're worried about public perception and um you know, kind of stop doing the work and just to juxtapose that Tim Hardaway has, has done the work and he's done it in quiet and it hasn't made like a big. Absolutely. Good guy, Tim Hardaway. He's raised in unfortunate circumstances that led to some internalized homophobia. And he has done really a lot to, to reverse that. Yeah. All right. We got Kevin Johnson at 16. Kyrie Irving. Tim Hardaway at 17. Are we willing to lock him in or, or do you want to, are you someone over him? Tim Hardaway at 17, I am sold. Good. All right. Who else you got? How about Tony Parker? Four championships. Four championships, four All-NBA, six-time All-Star, one-time Finals MVP. He has three straight All-NBA second teams where he's uh, behind Kobe and Chris Paul for all of those, if I remember correctly. He's arguably the second best point guard in the league during that stretch. Whether that says more about the time period, you could argue, but extremely good playoff performer. It's it's the anti-Russell Westbrook. You know Tony Parker's going to play well in the playoffs, and he has some really great playoff moments. You know Tony Parker has a higher career, I don't know how to phrase this, has a higher career high in a playoff series than Kyrie Irving. Does he really? He does, 29.6 versus 29.4. Oh, oh, then that's not career high. I was thinking like a single game. I have not checked on that. I don't think that's true, but it's in a playoff series, so... No, Tony did drop a 55-pointer in the playoffs. I did not realize that. As Kyrie? 55? Who did he do that against? When was that? It was 2009. Let me grab that game here. Tony Parker was on the cover of NBA Live 07. He was, or it was 08 or something. That tells you something. He was incredible. Yeah, I mean, Devin Booker's the cover. 
of the current one. I'm sorry. The the 55 was a regular season game. 43 is his playoff career high. Okay. And I think Kyrie has that be. Um, you know, I, I do have Kyrie over him. Um, and I actually have Chauncey Billups over him as well. Ooh, over Tony Parker? I feel like his finals MVP is maybe more deserved. Sure. But like also Billups led teams. And Billups, um, I, I never feel like Tony is close to Tim Duncan. Is hey the the gap between Tony and Tim Duncan is much larger than whoever Billups and his next best guy was. Um, but I really do look at like hey Duncan carried these teams and, and Parker and Monty were good. They're nice complementary pieces. Um, in the same way that like Clay and Draymond are complementary play pieces, but like Curry is a transcendent star or among stars. Like I I I hold Tony Parker's success against him, or not his success, but his teammates against him, and. I, I feel like he kind of just rode coattails. You don't think he's the best player on the 2013 Spurs? Totally possible. Led them in scoring, led them in assists, led them in win shares. Yeah. And what did they do? Well, <laughs> you could argue that they would have won out of that he... Yeah. And Duncan is really good in the, in the finals, though. Duncan kind of knew how to pace himself. And like, hey, he was going to let Manu and Tony run around and score. Um, and he was going to captain the defense. And what he needed to... Like he's 36 years old at that point. Um, it just Tony is a true second fiddle. Tony is, you know, you need second fiddles though. That's something. That's something you can't. At some point, sure. a really good second fiddle winning four titles is gonna overvalue. Sure. I don't know. I, I think these guys are all really close because these guys are all probably more seconds than firsts. I do think Kyrie's bag. I hate the fact that I just had to say that. <laughs> Kyrie is just a crazy efficient scorer. I mean, we're talking like during his peak, peak, you know, last four or last six playoff runs, he's basically 60% true shooting. Tony Parker, even with Duncan there, we're talking like topping out at 55% true shooting. Like he he's okay at scoring. It's a different era a little bit. And Parker never really had to shoot threes or be good at them to be super effective. And you could argue that Parker is a better finisher around the rim than, than Kyrie Irving. He in an era where that was extremely important. Well, that's that's why I try to rely more on true shooting because like it, it helps balance some of those differences between yeah. a guy jacking a bunch of threes and a guy, you know, getting to the rim. It, it's about efficiency there. I'm sold on Kyrie at 18. Okay. Why do you have Parker above Billups? Because I, I can go back and forth on these two. The Matrix does have uh, Parker 36 spots above Billups. Um, this just might be a little bit of my Michigan bias. Billups made one on NBA second team in two third teams. Parker has three second teams and one third team. And whether it's not a huge difference, I feel like the elite years for Parker are there, where you look at him as, as really one of the best players in the league. I don't think you see that for Billups. But that, that's kind of the argument. You go against just who had the elite seasons. I would take Tony Parker. Does Tony Parker ever have any MVP votes? Votes? He has a fifth place finish in 2012. I didn't even, did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that when I was doing this research. How high does Billups go? Billups has a fifth place finish in 2006, so I, it's a wash essentially. Yeah, I just, I mean, both their playoff records are really impeccable. Tony, extreme longevity. Um, Billups making Eastern Conference Finals after Eastern Conference Finals as as the best player on the Pistons. Um, maybe arguably, like I do also really value Ben Wallace's contributions. Um they're probably 1A, 1B. Their stats are exactly the same. Oh, my God. Yeah, they are incredibly similar. And I kind of tossed back and forth because the difference between the two of them in my matrix really are those awards. 
as far as just like statistical performances, they're they're really close. Billups actually comes out ahead because he has a, a greater win shares per peak and different um, different points in his career. Like uh, this 2006, Billups has in the regular season 15.5 win shares, uh, and in the playoffs another 2.7. Tony Parker's best season by win shares. Uh, which is not what I want this podcast to be. So it's just rattling off numbers. But <laughs> his, his best, you know, one by win shares is 9.6. Yeah, the win shares love Phillips. I think my final case is there's more, the higher peak for, for Parker, the three extra rings. It's, it's the two extra rings. It's the three extra rings. Parker only has three rings. No, he doesn't. No, he has no, four. You're right. You're right. He has four. I've <laughs> seen a ring. 2003, 5, 7, oh 14. Yeah, I've. I might. I'm going crazy. <laughs> when you when you look at the basketball reference pages and Wikipedia's for hours on end, it just melts your mind. Yeah. Tony Parker, number nineteen. All right. All right. I. He is in, ladies and gentlemen. How many more guys you got? Because if we do Parker at nineteen, can we lock Billups in at twenty? Or you got guys you want to argue over Billups? And I have just one name because I think I decided Dennis Johnson should be. Like the last twenty second point guard, we could just maybe we get to the point in the full top one hundred. We need someone, maybe Dennis Johnson to be that guy. How about Dave Bing? Why? I like Dave. What's you hate old point guards? <laughs> Dave Bing is a seven time All Star, three time All NBA. A, a score. Oh, it's interesting. Bass Reference credits him with a scoring title. He did not win that scoring title. I don't know why they give it to him. Oscar Robertson averaged more points. I don't understand why that's the case. Did Oscar have not enough games played? Let me double check. Mother, one second. In general, I, I'm not as big of a fan of trying to tally up how many All-Stars a guy had when there are 10 teams. In that time, they had 20 All-Stars for 10 teams. So every team got two All-Stars. And, and that's, I think, something that people miss a lot when they talk about, like, oh, Bill Russell had this stacked team. He had all these All-Stars or all these Hall of Famers. Well, there's only so many teams. So you, you just... There was a sudden number of all-stars. Like, I think all-stars got better. So when we're talking about Dave Bing being a seven-time all-star, but only three-time all-NBA, that hurts him in my mind. Also, I feel that entire era from 68 to 76 is not a great era for basketball because you've got the the two leagues. And so I almost look at it as being like an Eastern Conference all-star and a Western Conference all-star but there's 20 of them on each conference. So you have 40 players making all-star teams. You have 10 players making all-NBA first team, 10 players making all-NBA second team, two MVPs, two championships. Um, and so like that era in particular, I I really question a lot of the awards and I deduct points for them because you just you can't have 40 all-stars in a season when there's like 18 teams. I think that's totally fair. I understand now why he won that scoring title. It's because they had yet to move to averages, and he had the most points. Oh. Which is how they should have kept it, and it was stupid that they changed it. <laughs> um, he also has two first-team NBA selections in 68 and 71 and a second team in 1974, but I hear what you're saying. I think as a top 100 player, Bing is is fair to consider, but if you want to wait on that, I'm okay. In that case, I mean, you want to go Billups and then Bing, or did you have somebody would- else in mind? I would say as a Michigander, I would go Billups then Bing. You're just gonna throw that out there that he that Dave Bing played for the Pistons the whole time, not gonna represent. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's why I'm gonna say like as a Michigander, I would oh, okay. I would take Makes sense. Take Billups over Bing. Like 
you know, I feel like I feel like that's kind of the consensus, even among some of the old heads that's here. I'm all for it. That leaves us with Dennis Johnson at 22, essentially. Or did you have somebody else in mind? No, I, I do think you talked me into Bing. I like Bing over um, over Dennis Johnson. Um, one of the things I, I was really looking into Dennis Johnson's his finals MVP because ideally this should be a really tough season and to win like right post merger. Um, you know, two years years after the merger, like this should be an incredibly hard thing to do. And I just I look at that team and I look at a guy like Gus Williams. And I'm like, man, there's a pretty equal case that you could say Gus Williams deserves finals MVP. And I, I thought a lot about Gus Williams and where Gus would rank. And Gus actually doesn't rank that much further back on these things um, in my mind. The entire era is a disaster. And I want to wipe it off the face of the earth, just erase it from the record books. It never happened. There was no merger. They just skipped right to Magic Johnson. It's, it's one of the most competitive basketballs ever been. Um, and there's just so much talent in the league immediately post merger because you allowed a lot of players to develop and then you condense the rosters down that the league hasn't settled in yet um and you do have these kind of wild upsets like teams are not quite what you think because guys are still figuring out how to play there was a huge stylistic difference like imagine if you have basketball you know you start off with the same rules in 68 and then you come back a decade later and see see the differences like imagine if if you split the nba and one team like one style continue to play like the spurs and the other style like figured out the three-pointer, like Steph Curry, and just like the whole stylistic difference when you smash them back together. That's that's kind of that early post-merger. It's such an interesting time because it's not necessarily harder for the players, but it's just harder for the teams, I think. I'm not even really sure what, what to deduct from it. I don't think we're ever going to see something like that. It was like basketball boiled down to its purest form and just anyone could win. And that's why the Wizards won a title. That's that's what it takes for the Wizards to win a championship. <laughs> and it's a mistake that never should have happened. <laughs> All right. I think we're good on point guards. Would you like to read our 22 top 100 candidates for point guards? Well, I just want to name one more name and see how you feel about them. Please, please. That Seattle Supersonics team was the last team in the Western Conference to win the championship that wasn't from either Texas or California. Please. I have a name as well that I'd like to mention. I wonder if you're thinking of the same person. Are you thinking... Uh, there's two names that it could be, and they're both really similar cases. Are you thinking of Derek Rose or Penny Hardaway? I wasn't thinking of either of those guys, but I okay. like... Oh, man, Penny Hardaway is a good one. Okay. Who are you thinking of? I was thinking of Mark Price. Mm. Mm. Yeah. First team on BA, 1993. Price is really interesting because like, there's an argument that... He's one of Jordan's tougher competitions during that first three-peat. I'm in favor of putting Penny Hardaway above Dennis Johnson. I had him there. You know, it's it's very similar to a, a Tim Hardaway Sr. Um, and it's very similar to a Derrick Rose of like these short-lived players. Penny Penny's a four-time All-Star. That fourth All-Star appearance, he played just 19 games but gets in on the fan vote because that is how highly he was regarded. And like, yeah, it's it's a popularity contest, whatever. Allen Iverson gets in off of like next to zero games his last year. But like in general, to capture the the hearts and minds of the fans, like to get in off of doing nothing, you have to be really good. I agree. He has two first team on BA appearances and a third and a third team on BA and four all-star appearances. And then his career is just crushed by injuries. And I think 
I, I like his launch angle better than I do Tim Hardaway's, but it just didn't, it didn't last for as long. Yeah. Tim Hardaway was able to recover the career and get back to being an all-star a couple of times. He was first team on B in 1987, Hardaway. Yeah. Isn't that strange? After all of that, the, his technically, tech by, by accolades, his best season was then. Dennis Johnson, is that really? Dennis Johnson was first team on B in 1981. Hmm. Did you know that? I didn't. I don't have these things memorized. How we do? I figured you do. <laughs> Some of these you do. First team on BA in 1981 and second team in 1980. Six-time All-Defensive. First team, three-time All-Defensive. Second team, five-time All-Star, three-time champion. Now I'm going back. I'm, I'm going back and forth on two guys that probably aren't going to even make it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to type them in. We can just go our 23rd guy is Penny Hardaway. Are you okay with that? Or did you want yeah. Derek Rose? No, no. I, I Listen, the thing for Rose it is Rose's single year is better than probably the last, I don't know, everyone until we get back up to Westbrook. So Rose's best year is better than the last 11 guys we've talked about. And his second best year is pretty average in every other comparison. And his third best year is like not even on the map with these guys. Um, and this is this is maybe my own personal biases, but I don't care about that flash in a pan. You can write the the history of the NBA and never mention Derrick Rose. Totally true. You you can. Man, eh, no, you can. He's the youngest MVP ever. You got to say that. So? <laughs> they kind of, okay, I, 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 I understand that. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. That's We're going to get back to this when we do our centers and talk about Bill Walton. We don't, we're not huge fans of guys that had an immense peak for one season, for two seasons. That's not what teams are built on that's not what dynasties are built on and really it's not what champions are built on you have to have five-year stretches where you're one of the best players in the league for anything to really come of it this might sound blasphemous um i'm not entirely sure i can hold true to this take but i'd, I'd be tempted to rank joakim noah higher than derrick rose because of what his impact was for chicago and his longevity wow i don't know if i can go that far <laughs> i don't know if i'm there i think in a vacuum you are right Joakim Noah had more impact for the Bulls than Derrick Rose did. That's insanity. And you know, you know why I know that? Is because my grandma, who only processes basketball games through newspaper articles and watching them, she is like the purest form of basketball knowledge you could ever have. Influenced by no internet takes, by no TikTok videos, she remembers Joakim Noah more than Derrick Rose. I looked them up in the Matrix, and Rose is 100 spots ahead of Noah, but... When you think of the Tibbs era Bulls, and that's the thing is you say the Tibbs era Bulls because you can't say the Rose era Bulls because it wasn't an era. It was a couple of seasons. Um, Joakim Noah had a longer lasting impact and is the more recognizable guy from that era. Rose is just a constant what if. And also to be fair, I don't like talking about Rose without bringing up the fact that he's a horrible human being. He did sexually assault some people. And on the stand when asked if he knew what the definition of consent was, he said, I don't know. Which, I, it's not good. Yeah, I I had a friend that's law school that was like, well, that's what your coach to say. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, he's not getting anything for it. You could at least try to like, you know, feign human decency and be like, yes, I'm aware. I felt I had consent. Something just saying you don't know what consent is is just one of the most trash human being takes I can ever have. So we'll put that out there. We can leave it there. <laughs> like, we are done with the point guards. Check it out. We are all done with the point guards. Yeah. We've got the 23 potential top 100 candidates. I can try to read it out. We had Magic, Steph Curry, Oscar, Jerry West, Chris Paul, 
Bob Cousy, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Gary Payton, John Stockton, Walt Frazier, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, Tiny Archibald, Kevin Johnson, Tim Hardaway, Kyrie Irving, Tony Parker, Chauncey Billups, Dave Bing, Dennis Johnson, and Penny Hardaway. I'm a fan. I'll put Lenny Wilkins in there for 24, just just for your Woo! sake. Woo! Lenny Wilkins. <laughs> well, and like, there's still a lot of really good point guards that are, are left on the board. I mean, just just looking at the matrix, the next couple of guys up, um, I'll go ahead and just read off the next 12 because they're all still top 150. Um, are Jimmy Jones, Larry Jones, Matt Calvin, Darren Williams, Louis Dampier, Gilbert Arenas, Mark Price, Gus Williams, Kyle Lowry, Jojo White, Luka Doncic, and Derek Rose. Man, Luka's in it. I didn't, I didn't even think of Luka. Listen, Luka... It's Are we just to... saying we're not going to touch it? We're not going to touch it because it's been he's only been in the league for like two years. I mean, if you want to look at his peak and his accolades, Lucas should be above Rose. Lucas should be probably above Penny. Um, a lot of these guys, I think Luca will get there. So I'm not really concerned about Luca. Yeah. Hey, we do this next year after Lucas won a title. Sure, Lucas in that top 13 group, that cluster. I, I genuinely refuse to rank players that have not played for at least like seven years it's it, it used to be a requirement of my matrix that you played at least five years um because it just gets all sorts of wonky um like someone asked me to do show kind of what the rookie rankings were i was like oh yeah scotty barnes like 1666 like cade cunningham because he missed a bunch of games in the beginning and then like slowly ramped into shape like 2000 it's just such a small sample size in the it's the not worth it. of the nba history that these rankings are, are so subjective, but it was kind of nice the fact that I rerun these matrix every year um, that I started in 2013 and I've watched Giannis go from that like 1,000, you know, 500 mark into into top 30. Like it, it's been fun to watch him rise. You're very lucky to have that, that kind of view. <laughs>